Hello, hello. Welcome back to another edition of Unbashful. Of course, I'm your host, Nicholas Doucette. I want to thank you for stopping by here for another week of movies and television. That's all we talk about here. And this week, there is quite a lot going on. Uh, We're going to go over Superman Legacy. It seems like they're close to circling their main actors for Superman, Lex Luthor, um... What's the other character's name? Lois Lane. Uh, I'm going to talk about Bo is Afraid. I know this film has been out for about a month now, but I haven't actually had the chance to talk about it because it is such a divisive film. So I'm going to share my thoughts on that. Um, and then what we're going to start off with today, there's some other stuff. You know, We'll talk about... Um, I want to start a new segment at the end of these episodes. I'm going to try to do two episodes a week, one on Wednesdays. And then one on Sunday. The episodes on Wednesdays, I'm going to talk about the movies movies and TV shows that I've just watched recently. uh, Whether that's in the last week or the the last couple of days. I think it'd just be a fun segment. It even gives me a new opportunity to talk about movies that I would normally talk about. Talk about TV shows that I would normally talk about. And it's just a fun little way to kind of highlight what I've been consuming the uh, the last little bit. So we'll talk about some other movies. Um, we'll talk about Babylon uh, and, and a few other things as well. But what we're going to kick off with today is we now have the official release date for Loki Season 2 and Echo. Uh, Loki Season 2, this is coming from Marvel, is going to be coming out on October 26th. And then Echo is going to be coming out on November 29th. So just my general thoughts. Uh, this is exciting. And I think that last tail end of 2023 is going to have a lot of Marvel content. We have The Marvels coming out in November, uh, which was delayed. It was originally supposed to come out, I think, next month or July. uh, But that's been pushed to November. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, And then we have Loki coming out in October. So just a month before that. And then we have... In the same month of the Marvels, we have Echo. So this is exciting, but it's also a little bit concerning at the same time. Uh, Particularly when it comes to Echo, because I know not all of you keep up with the the behind-the-scenes production news, but Echo, it seems like, has been through a lot of shifts, a lot of delays. Uh, There's been a lot of reports from trusted industry insiders that the production has been uh, very poor for Echo. There's a, a lot of... Uh, changes to the script, a lot of, uh, even apparently some of the performances from the lead actress haven't been uh, up to par, I I guess. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, Echo is the new spinoff show from the character that we met, the character Echo that we met from the Hawkeye show. And I had no problem with that character. We didn't really see that much of her. We didn't see enough of her for me to build like a, a real attachment enough to actually want to watch an entire show of hers. Uh, now, there is always the question, does this character deserve their own show? Does this character deserve their own movie? And I, I think it's kind of a silly question to ask because at the end of the day, if, if Marvel's going to want to make this show, they're going to do it. They're not going to sit there and wait for our permission So I think the real question we should be asking is, can they make a good show out of this character? Or can they make a good movie or whatever whatever the case it is? Um, That, I think, is the real question. I think it's kind of pointless just to say, oh, um, should they do it? Well, they're going to do it regardless. It doesn't really matter what we say. 
of course, there are some things that take into account, like demand, but Marvel, you know, like demand to see that character again. But I think Marvel is at a point where they've had so much success over the course of the past, whatever, 13, 14 years that they've been doing this now, that they can afford to make TV shows and make films about characters that might might normally be supporting characters in another character's TV show or film. So they can afford to take these swings and take these risks. And I think that's sort of what we're seeing. Because I think 10 years ago, even five years ago, you might not have seen an Echo TV show. You might not have seen a uh, Falcon in the Winter uh, Winter Soldier TV show, but because Marvel has had so much success, and and a lot of this too, a lot of this, you know, th- this trend we're seeing of these uh, lesser known characters getting their own films and getting their own TV shows. I think we have to give a lot of that credit to Guardians of the Galaxy and to James Gunn, but be- because before that, we hadn't seen this before. And because of the success of the Guardians, because of the success of that film, highlighting these characters that most audiences didn't didn't even know existed, myself included, I had no idea who the Guardians were. Ever since then, we've seen a lot of studios, not just Marvel, we've seen DC, give the opportunity for these more ancillary characters um, the chance to shine in their own spotlight. So I think Marvel now is at a position where they where they can take that risk. But here's where it gets tricky with Echo. And this is something that Marvel has not done yet. They're releasing all episodes of this show on November 29th. So Loki season two, they're going to they're going to do the weekly episodic release, which is, I think, what we all expected. But with Echo, they're giving they're giving all of us every single episode on the 29th. So it's pretty much going to be like watching a, a movie. And I think it's going to be six episodes and they're probably going to be shorter episodes. So to me, my first impression of this, and, and I'm not trying to seem negative, but this tells me that they're not confident in the show. If they're just going to release it all at once, to me that says, okay, you know what? We've tried everything that we can. We're not as we're not as high on the show as we are for something like Loki or Secret Invasion. We're just going to throw it out there, get it over with, and then that way, if there is, you know really bad reception critically it's it's not going to come over the course of like a month and a half if they were to release the show weekly they can just drop it all at once and if it's really bad you'll get about a week of people saying it's terrible marvel's done the sky is falling and then it'll be business as usual so that that's my impression i've seen some people say that oh it's because of the production stuff and they you know the 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 show's been delayed so many times that they just want to get it out uh, and, and it has nothing to do with the quality of the show that it could be both. But to me, the fact that they've never done this before, and it, it's, it's with the TV show that we've heard now it's just rumors and it's just, you know, leaks and reports, but we've heard a lot of discussion behind the scenes that it's, it's, it's been a pretty tumultuous, uh, uh, production. Now I'm going to watch it j- just because it's obviously though it's part of the Marvel machine, uh, it's homework, so to speak. And as I said earlier, I'm not, um, I don't have this, 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 this strong attachment to the character. I thought the actress did a, did a, did a fine job and, uh, I'm confident that she'll, she'll do a good job. And, um, 
I, I could grow attached to this character if the show was good, right? That's the question. That you can take characters that I don't know, that I don't really care about, and you can make a compelling show out of it, and then I'll care. So Marvel's capable of doing that. We know that, uh, and and I wouldn't really bet against them. But right now, all signs are leading to this is probably not the best thing that they've done, at least to me. Um, so so that's sort of my thoughts on it. Now there's some things to be excited for. It's it's reported that. You know, Matt Murdock is going to be in the show and, and, and Kingpin is going to be in the show. Now, here's something, and I, I'm not trying to make a joke out of this, but I am genuinely curious how they're going to make it work between a character who's deaf and a character who's blind. How is that interaction going to work? Now, I'm sure Marvel knows and understands that everyone is asking that same question. So I'm sure they they probably have some something figured out to explain that. I, I'm sure they do. But until I see that, I'm going to continue to wonder how the fuck is a blind character going to interact with a deaf character? It just, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> That's just me. Um, yeah, the, it'll be interesting. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see how that works out. So. And I'm a big sucker for continuity, and unlike a lot of people, I am very optimistic and very excited for the potential that the multiverse saga has. And I don't mind, you know, projects that are as committed to contributing to that, to that, you know, overarching story leading to the King Dynasty and Secret Wars. I was fine with Guardians, but I want to sort of, you know. I, I, I want to see a, a, a focus more on, on building towards this, right? We, we, we're, we've been in this multiverse saga for about four years now, and I want to see it become a priority. Like, not every project has to have a variant of Kang or a variant of, of whoever, but I want to see a little bit more of a priority, you know, toward the multiverse saga. And granted, haven't seen anything for the show. I'm not getting the impression that this is going to have anything to do with that. One could make the argument that in the Infinity Saga, there was a lot of focus on character and, and some projects weren't entirely committed to the Infinity Stone Saga. That is true, but there were still little hints and nods that were still then paid off when we when we reached Infinity War and Endgame. And so far, you know, aside from like Quantumania and Loki, I would like to see a little bit more uh, Easter eggs, so to speak, but that's just me. Now, when it comes to Loki season two, this this is also interesting. Now, I've talked about the Disney Plus stuff before. I think Loki season one is one of the best things Marvel has done. In fact, uh, on the last episode, I did my overall ranking of the MCU, and I have Loki in the top ten. Like out of everything, including movies, TV, that's how much I enjoy it. And uh, so, I have very high expectations for Loki season two. But there's a couple of things that I've I've been wondering about this show. Number one is obviously Jonathan Majors. Jonathan Majors is confirmed to have multiple appearances in the show, uh, obviously as Victor Timely and maybe even as another variant or two of Kang. The fact that they've given us the release date officially, October, tells me that they're, at least for now, they're rolling forward with him as Kang and they're not going to reshoot or, 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 you know, recast quite yet. 
Now, October is quite a ways away from now, so that does give them enough time that if they really want to at least recast Jonathan Majors because of everything that's happening, they can do that. Um, but at the at the very least, we're going to get uh, Jonathan Majors as Kang in this show. At, at, at the very minimum. I think it's going to be sort of what's happening with Ezra Miller. Um, Ezra Miller is likely going to be recast after The Flash. But in the interim, he's he's gonna he's gonna play the character in the Flash that's coming out. However, not to get on a side note, I've I've talked about this before, and I absolutely do agree that Ezra Miller should be recast and should no longer play this character. But I would not be surprised, and I think it's naive to consider it a foregone conclusion that he will be recast because we have seen. Many actors, many stars, not just actors, many executives in Hollywood do criminal acts and and, and do very bad things and continue to work. It has happened from time to from time and time again, not just in, you know, uh, like movies and stuff like that. It's happened in sports. So I think anybody just thinking like, for example, I watched John Campia and John Campia always says he. Ezra Miller is 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 gone. He's done. And as somebody like him that has covered this industry for so long, I I would expect him to 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 understand that there is a a, a probably a, a good chance that Ezra Miller could continue playing this character. You know, obviously depending on the success of the movie. It sounds terrible to say, but that's if we look at history, that's just what's happened. I'm not saying that's going to happen here, but it is likely that if this film makes a billion dollars and the fans are head over heels and 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 they love Ezra Miller, they're going to be like, well, people have already forgotten. Fuck it, let's just keep him and move on, business as usual. I, I'm I don't agree with that 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 frame of mind, but we've seen that before, so we could see the same thing happen with Jonathan Majors. Um, if Jonathan Majors is guilty of the things he's done, he should be recast. He should be fired. From, from playing this character. And he's already been fired from other, uh, uh, you know, media outlets like his representation. Obviously innocent until proven guilty. Um, but yeah, so that that's all I'll say about the the whole, you know, Jonathan Majors, Ezra Miller thing. I've talked about it before, but anyways. So, but I am excited to see him as Kang just because I I, I hope, you know, the, that the legal process will will play out and and if he's guilty he'll get fired if he's not guilty he'll continue playing the character regardless i do like his portrayal as a character so i am looking for i, I i'm just saying I'm, I'm not by me saying i enjoy him playing the character doesn't mean i support him hitting women or anything like that i think that's that's the problem with the internet these days you 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 cannot just separate art from the artist or i, I think that's how the terminology goes I don't support any any domestic violence or anything like that. I'm just saying I liked what Jonathan Majors did as a character. So don't come at me. Don't jump on me and say, oh, you must support him hitting women. Fuck no. Obviously not. And I hate that some people adopt that mentality. It's like one thing doesn't have to mean another. Like it's not like two totally different things. I'm talking about a fictitious character that I enjoyed and I enjoyed his performance for that fictitious character. Anyways, I don't want to go on a side rant here, but besides the point, um, 
so yeah, that's exciting. We now have a official release date because the, the release dates were up in the air because Marvel had delayed a lot of their projects once Bob Chapek uh, was kicked out and then Bob Iger came back. They they slowed down, which is good. I think I think it's a good thing that they're doing that. They had way too much coming out all at once, and you could see the dip in quality in films like Thor: Love and Thunder. Uh, in a lot of the visual effects in in Quantumania, I've talked about. I really like Quantumania, but I can I can agree with people in regards to the all the things said about the visual effects. They were bad, and uh, and yeah. So I, I I think they're they're doing the right thing here. I mean, even 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 three shows a year is still a lot. I would be fine if they just released two TV shows a year and just called it a day. Not even including the movies that we're getting. I would I would honestly be okay if Marvel did two movies a year, two TV shows a year. That would be more than enough for me. Because it's not like we're not getting things from DC in the near future. It's not like we're not getting other great movies that are coming up from these other directors. Like there's a lot to go around. So I'd be perfectly fine. Like I Marvel's saying they're slowing down. They're really slowing down by just eliminating one project a year. I mean, to me, that's not a that's not a huge slowdown. But it seems like they're committed to that, so I guess we'll see in the future if they really stick to their word. But at the very least, you know, Agatha Coven of Chaos is supposed to come out this year. Ironheart was supposed to come out this year. And those are, it seems like they're delayed indefinitely, at least until 2024. So maybe that's the first sign of, of, of things to come. So for me, I, I think what their priority should go towards is better scripts and better visual effects. I think the performers they have... Even a lot of the new actors that they've had, like Amon Vellani, obviously uh, Oscar Isaac, like the, these are great actors and actresses. Um, so that's not a problem. Like the, the talent they're getting to to perform these characters and bring the life to them is fine. But it's a lot of the lackluster writing, a lot of even some of the directing, and the poor visual effects. Now, the poor visual effects, I'm not necessarily going to give the criticism toward the people doing the visual effects it's it's really marvel because marvel isn't giving them enough time because they want them to they they only have so much resources to allocate and i've got if they got like fucking 90 projects coming out in two months it's hard to have enough people to go around when there are other films in in in, in the film industry that require visual effects so there's only so many visual effects resources to go around and they're pinched for time they're scrambling so it's really marvel which i think is what they want to do you know, split up the split up the dates a bit and give more time to actually focus. Because it almost seemed like in Phase Four, Marvel was like picking and choosing what projects they want to prioritize for the visual effects. Like for example, Wakanda Forever, the visual effects looked great. They looked really good. It was like it was like the Marvel that we that that we were, that we were used to. But then Thor: Love and Thunder looked terrible. Uh, Spider Man: No Way Home looked bad. Um, but then Guardians. Guardians look great. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 look amazing, but Quantum Mania look like shit. You see what I'm saying? They shouldn't have to pick and choose like at the detriment of one project. Every project should have the time it needs to be polished and to release. Not just finished, but as best as it can be. So yeah. That's sort of my thoughts. Now we're going to move on to Bo is Afraid because this is one fucked up movie. I want to make a correction before we jump into Bo is Afraid. I said in the beginning of the episode that Loki is coming out October 26th. 
that was actually wrong. I meant to say October 6th, so just a little correction there. But Bo was afraid. Let's talk about this film. So this was directed by Ari Aster, starting, or starring uh, Joaquin Phoenix, and I love Ari Aster. He's only made two films, um, but he's got a very unique style, very unique voice as a filmmaker, and uh, you, at this point, if you've seen Hereditary, if you've seen Midsummer, you know what to expect. Well, you do, but you don't. You know, you you can expect a a very graphic, trippy, you know, weird experience. But in terms of what that entails, the context and and what's actually going to happen, that you don't expect because it, anything could be off the wall. Anything is 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 off the table for for a filmmaker like him, which is exciting in and of itself because you're going in and you're you're. You're expecting to be surprised, and oh, I was certainly surprised when I watched this film. I'll tell you that. But I've, 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 I saw the film. I've only seen it once. I'll probably need to see it again to, uh, to really kind of know how I truly feel, because I don't know how I feel, and it's I've never had an experience like this before, where I watch a film and I'm left just like. I, I don't even know how to give a proper review. And if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. It's just, as I just articulated, I know this is Ari Aster. And I know I'm, I'm, I went in there expecting to see something all over the place. I get that. But this was so far beyond anything that I could have even, you know, imagined that I, I just, I don't know how I feel. I don't know if I like this film, if I don't like this film. I, I know that there are aspects of it that I enjoyed. And there are aspects of it that I'm kind of left scratching my head. Maybe with the with the narrative itself. Um, or even some of the other things that Ari Aster decided to do with the storytelling. And the film's been out now for a while. So, I'm going to talk about spoilers. So, I mean, you've been warned. Um... Yeah, and, and I'm not even going to attempt to give you the synopsis of this film because I, I'll i just do a terrible job. So I'm actually just going to pull up the synopsis here. Um, and even the synopsis itself, whatever it is, the few sentences, it's, it's probably not going to be enough to fully give you the gist of what the film is about. So I'm on IMDb, and it says, Following the sudden death of his mother... A mild-mannered but anxiety-ridden man confronts his darkest fears as he is, as he embarks on an epic, Kalfesque odyssey back home. I definitely didn't pronounce that word correctly. Yeah, so that I mean that that's 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 correct. In the film, the beginning of the film, uh, Bo talks to his mom on the phone, and he's he's telling her, uh, "I'm I I can't leave. I can't come get you. I've I've lost. I think." I think he like lost his key or something like that in the beginning and he can't leave his apartment because now basically anybody can just can just walk in. And then like right after that, his mom's dead. At least we think. And then we see her again in the film. But you don't know if that's just an apparition or or if his mother like faked her own death. And like, who the fuck knows? I, I still don't know. And if you do and, 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 and if you understand the film, you tell me. <laughs> I want to know. Um, I'm, cause like I said, I'm probably going to have to watch it again to, to, to fully try and understand. And maybe, you know, maybe as an audience member, maybe I'm not supposed to understand Cause I think part of the, the draw of this film is that it's, it's all just this one man's 
crucifying, crippling anxiety attack that he's having within himself. And maybe that's what we're seeing all in front of us. Um, a few examples of that I think of is when he's he spent it's it's that part of the film where he's he's with the woman the the actress from from the office that that's with Michael I can't remember her name but basically he's staying in this home with this family and and there's little subtle signs from from the uh, from the father and from the mother but then the mother goes up to Bo and she says stop incriminating yourself as if like he's being watched and I think that's supposed to sort of let the audience know that. Like that's that's how his anxiety makes him feel. He feels like he has to walk on walk on eggshells because he's constantly being, you know, uh, looked under 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 a magnifying glass or something. Like little examples like that. And the ending too. The ending was. I, th- that's another thing. Like w- like what was that? Almost like like let's say this was a dream. Was that like the the moment in his dream where he's about to wake up and everything is kind of reaching its peak of intensity that right when let's say right when the boat flipped and he went in the water is that when like boom he woke up and we're just still kind of seeing the aftermath of his dream like i don't fucking know (laughs) i'm probably just talking out of my ass at this point like of course walking phoenix amazing like one of the best actors in the world uh, no, no, no complaints there. And Ari Aster, like I, I respect him as a filmmaker. I, you could tell this is, this is made exceptionally from, from everything, from the costume design, from the production design, from obviously from the performance, from the writing, like it's, it's across the board. You can, you can appreciate the, all the different, um, contributions that happen across this film. So that I can appreciate, but the, the, the film itself, it was just so bizarre, so all over the place that I was left for the first time really ever watching a movie, like not knowing ha- how to feel. It, it was just like, like, I, I have no idea. Um, even the moment of the film where he goes up in the attic and there's this big like dick just sitting there and it's like alive and it's like a it's it's like a fucking monster and it the animation style of it looks similar to like james and the giant peach like the fucking uh bugs that are hiding in the peach if you've seen that film like it was the most bizarre like the whole movie they're hinting towards like something that's up in this attic and throughout the time because i know inevitably we're going to get the answer to what that is um the whole time I'm sitting there thinking like, what could it be? And I'm thinking it's, it's like a person at some point I thought, okay, maybe it's his dad because his dad had been referred a couple of times in the film. You might've even met his dad earlier in the film when he's watching that play. Uh, but I, I thought it was going to be some, some decapitated body maybe, because if you've seen our, some of Ariasa's other films, that's almost been like. Um, like a trend, like in Hereditary, when the son is trying to escape his feral mother, fucking crawling up the walls, he goes up in the attic, and there's there's a severed, there's a body with a severed head just sitting there in like ritual form, uh, and then um, in Midsummer, there I think there's I think there's a couple of times where the, Ari Aster just has a thing with hiding, you know, decapitated bodies in certain places of, of, of houses. So I was expecting to see something like that, but I did not expect this like kaiju like dick to just sit there. And, and it was once again, I, 
I don't know. And if you've never, if you haven't seen this film, you are probably like, what the fuck is he talking about right now? And I encourage you to go watch the movie because I can only explain it so much. Now, the first hour and a half of this, because it's a long movie. It's, it's three hours long. I, 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 I think I would have liked to see them explore more of the, of the, of the actual area, like before Joaquin Phoenix's character, Bo goes on the odyssey as described in the, uh, in the slate before he leaves his town. And you could see he's in this, this, this clearly this like poverty ridden area. There's, there's crime everywhere. There's a dude, naked dude running around fucking stabbing people. And like that looked terrifying. And I'm sure once again, that was an extension of his anxiety. Uh, I would have liked to see them explore that area more. Um, but then he went off and it was, yeah, I don't even know what else to say. That's pretty much, like I said, I don't really do reviews like, like formal reviews. I just, I'm not good at them. So this is basically my review, but it's all, it's, it's also hard to do a review for a film like this when it's just so beyond, like, I, I, I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about this film and it's, it's been weeks since I've seen it. So I'll, I'll probably need to watch it again. And this time I'm going to try and get somebody like a friend of mine to watch it with me. So that I, so, so I could see their reaction to how fucking bizarre this movie is because I thought Midsummer was like peak, like the, the, the most provocative thing I had ever seen. This film is leaps and boundaries more provocative than, than Midsummer. I still think that Hereditary is his best film. And that, that film was always going to hold a soft spot to me. I, I know a lot of people have said it's overrated. The thing about calling a film overrated or underrated, it's, 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 I almost don't even take it serious at all. I, I almost just throw it out the window because it's so hard to, like, it's, it's all subjective. It's so hard to, to, to quantify that because there, it's, it's, it's like behavior with people. If a movie is doing well and it's, it's, it's garnishing a lot of critical appraise, there's always going to be those people, the contrarians, that just naturally want to feel um, different and, and be like, oh, I, I I don't see where they're coming from. I, I feel completely different. That film was overrated. And look, if you can call a film overrated and provide real, tangible, understanding analysis to, 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 to further, to sort of, you know, base your, base your opinion, then I can understand. Like the thing about talking about movies and TV, you're never going, it's not, it never should be a debate of who's right and who's wrong. You're nobody is ever right or wrong when they're talking about a film because it's all subjective. It's art film criticism as Dan Merrill, uh, um, calls it. And, and, and I love the way he put it. I'm paraphrasing, but he said film, um, Fuck, what did, what did he say? I'm forgetting. I'm drawing a blank. I, it was something along, along the lines of film criticism is is not is not a debate. It's it's a discussion. It's an analysis. It was something along the lines of that. Dan Mural said that one of I think one of the best critics in Hollywood. He does he when he breaks down a film and he talks about it in that more you know highly edited formal way. I don't want to make it sound like that's that's bad. That takes a lot of talent. A talent that I necessarily don't have, he does it incredibly. Um, and he probably could explain this film way better than I can. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's pretty much all I have to say about Bo's Afraid. 
definitely check it out. Uh, it's 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 a wild experience. It's a long film. Here's one here's one credit I'll give it. I never actually felt the runtime because there was always something happening. Like right when you think you might be getting bored, boom, a kid starts fucking drinking paint. Like th- that is how there's just always something to like wake you up. Like oh fuck. <laughs> so there's always something going on. So for a three hour film, the one thing I can for sure say that I that I can give a credit to is that it go- it goes by pretty fast. That's something. That's something that I can one hundred percent give as as a piece of credit. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, so let's move on to something a little bit lighter. Let's go on to Superman Legacy, which is going to be the the start to James Gunn's new cinematic universe, the new DCU as it's being tapped. And uh, not only did he confirm that the film is going to be shooting in January. Uh, but then the Hollywood Reporter came out, and they have an article of the actors that are moving on to the screen test stage uh, of the casting process. And for those of you who don't know, when you get a when an actor goes through or, or reaches the screen test stage, they are like they are right there. They are they are just about that. That is like the final step that they have to cross before getting the part for the character. So we'll get into that right now. So, for those of you who don't know, I'm sure most of you know by now that DC Studios uh, is getting a pretty much a whole shakeup, and they're now their own studio. Whereas before they were sort of just like a banner under the Warner Brothers regime, now they're they've become a studio, and they're now being led by the co-CEOs of Peter Safran and uh, James Gunn. And I think James Gunn is the perfect choice for that job. Uh, he's read comics his whole life. He's talked about his 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 love for these characters for for both Marvel and DC because he's read both he's read both you know franchises, and uh, and we know that he's written the next Superman film and he's also going to be directing Superman Legacy, which is going to essentially be the first film in this new chapter one of Gods and Monsters, like he's talked about before. And look, I've talked about Superman as a character. It's it's he's obviously one of the oldest characters in comics. So I obviously wasn't around with the Richard Donner films. Um, you know, Man of Steel came out when I was like thirteen, and at that point, I wasn't even really into movies at that time. So like, I've seen Man of Steel since then, but I've never had this. Uh, I've never like been a, a huge fan of Superman himself. I've always kind of thought of the character as very you know. Boy Scouty and 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 not a lot of like I like characters that got that kind of edge to him a little bit. That's why I love Batman. That's why I love, uh, you know Robert or excuse me, I was about to say Robert Downey Jr. Uh, Iron Man. That's why I love. That's why I love the Guardians of the Galaxy because these are characters that have flaws. And Superman, you know, I'm I'm sure diehard fans are probably screaming at me. Well, he's got this flaw. He's got this flaw. He's he's this. He's that. He's he's an outsider and he feels like an outcast because he's not a human. So so on so forth. I get that. That's just my opinion. But I am excited, especially after seeing Guardians. Um, I, I'm really excited to see what he does with this first film. And uh, there's now a Hollywood Reporter article that's out that details some of the uh, some of the pre-production that's happening right now. And apparently that the film... Well, James Gunn himself confirmed that the film is going to be shooting in January. Of course, barring the writer's strike and everything ending by then but apparently he's finished the script so at least for now you know unless he comes up with some amazing idea they have the script finished so now they're in the casting process 
And it seems like they're very close to getting their Superman, getting their Lex Luthor, and getting their Lois Lane. So let me pull up the article here. Legacy cast. And uh, we'll talk about the names being thrown around here. But yeah, like I was saying, I mean, I, I'm not the biggest fan of Superman, but I, I am very excited to see what James Gunn does. And I think he can, with him directing this film, his his sensibility as a filmmaker, maybe after watching this film, maybe I'll become a huge diehard Superman fan. Like, uh, he's going to bring something to the table that we haven't seen before. And, and another thing that I'm that I'm excited about with, with this specific choice, because he's the CEO, he has the power. If fuck, if he really wanted to, he could direct and write every film and television show that's coming out. I'm, I'm not sure if he'd be able to do that. You know what I mean? It just in, ter- in terms of time, but he he can really appoint himself any salary, any position that he wants because he's he's the top dog. But he specifically made it a point to direct this film, and so far. If you look at his work, he's made a lot of comic book films, but it's all been for characters that are misfits, that are the outcasts, that are the unknown. So he's now taking on arguably one of the most iconic characters of all time. So that, that that's a big responsibility, but I'm confident he's going to pull it off. Um, but anyways, let's get to the article here. Um, just waiting for it to pop up. Okay. Okay, so this comes from the article by Boris Kitt and Mia Golupo. It says here, quote, The quest for James Gunn's Superman is up, up, and away. Casting for Superman Legacy, the feature meant to kick off Gunn and Peter Safford's much-vaunted first chapter of DC Studios is hitting a crucial phase with a short list of names building up for the roles of Clark Kent, Lois Lane, and even Lex Luthor. David Cornsweet, who recently played the ill-fated projectionist opposite Mia Goth in Pearl, is among the top candidates to play Kent, a.k.a. Superman, advancing to the screen test stage that will likely take place after Memorial Day or in early June. Multiple sources tell The Hollywood Reporter. The two other contenders may also be in the mix, but their identities remain unknown. Jacob Elordi, the sought-after star who broke out as the recent villain on HBO series Euphoria, is another name that has surfaced for the role of Kent, but sources say he never submitted himself into the ring. British actors Tom Brittany and Andrew Richardson were also in the early mix. As for Lane, the spunky reporter at Metropolis Daily Planet news organization contenders have been Emma McKay, one of the stars of the Netflix series Sex Education, who will also appear in Warner Brothers' Barbie, Rachel Brosnan, the uh, the Emmy-winning star, of Amazon's acclaimed The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Bridgerton actress Phoebe, Phoebe Denever, and Samara Weaving, last seen in Scream Five or Scream Seven, excuse me, is unclear who is advancing to the screen on the screen test stage. Brosnan is said to have delivered an outstanding audition, but at 32, maybe in the older range for what Gunn is ultimately hoping to achieve. A look at Metropolis Heroics via 20-something characters. Uh, okay, I'm not going to read the rest. Oh, actually, no, no, here we'll we'll, we'll read this last part. Um, one role that seems to have only one person earmarked is a classic villain, Luther. Nicholas Holt, currently starring in the, vamp- in the vampire comedy thriller Renfield, has been tipped to play the bald-headed evil genius. Holt's name has been swirling around Legacy for several weeks now, with some theorizing he was up for Superman. The actor had a previous close call with the DC movie round when he was, I was about to get to this, when he was the runner-up to play Batman for Matt Reeves with the role going to Robert Pattinson. The studio has loved him since Fury Road and one, and, uh, 
excuse me, sorry. The studio has loved him since Fury Road, said one source referring to Warner Brothers 2015 action classic from George Miller. Okay, so that's it. Um, okay, David Cornswell. Let's talk about him first. It's funny that his name is, is being thrown around because when I had a few of my friends on about a couple of months ago and we were talking about the Oscars back in March, we also we also did a, a fun little, you know, casting speculation. We, we, we all threw some names in the hat of who we think could play the next Superman. And I believe I threw the name David Cornsweat. Now, I haven't seen anything he's done. Uh... He certainly looks the part, but I haven't seen him actually act, so I don't know if he's if he's got the the talent. I'm sure he does. Um, I was looking on his IMDb. He's been in quite a few projects, like the article pointed out. He was in that film Pearl, which a lot of people seem to have enjoyed. I haven't seen it. Um, so he, he looks like Superman, and he is uh, 29 years old, if my memory serves me correct. So that fits in line with what we heard with James Gunn, because apparently he's looking for a younger Superman. Uh, because Henry Cavill, I mean, Henry Cavill's 39 now. And by the time they film Superman Legacy, well, I mean, I, sorry, well, well, I mean, he's, he's 40. But still, if you want to build and have Superman stick around for the next 10 to 15 years, I mean, Henry Cavill's going to be getting up there in his, you know, close to his 50s, if not exceeding that by the time they get to their, you know, their end game, so to speak. So I think they want a younger actor, uh, a more kind of lesser known actor. And, you know, I'm sure people know who this guy is, but he, I think he's sort of in that Tom Holland position when Tom Holland was, was, was up for Spider-Man. I had no idea who he was. I don't think a lot of people knew, but Spider-Man happened and then he took off. So I think we're seeing the same thing here with this gentleman. Um, He's a handsome guy. He, 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 he definitely looks the part. I could definitely see them going with him. Uh, These other names too, Uh, Jacob Elordi. The thing about him is he, he's a he's a really good actor. I will say that first and foremost. Jacob Elordi is a great actor, and I certainly think he could he could definitely play the character. So that that's there's no doubts about that. I think he looks a little too young though for me. Then again, I'm not a diehard Superman fan as I've articulated. I still think that when you're getting this, this a character like this who's going to be the anchor of this new cinematic universe, I think minimum you should go for. 28 to like 33. I think I think that should be the age range. And I think Jacob Elordi is like like 24. Let me let me see here. Jacob Elordi age. He's 25 years old. Okay, I think that's a little too young. And apparently he didn't even submit uh, he didn't even submit himself for an audition. So I guess he's just not interested. Um and then what are these other names here? Tom Brittany Never heard of this guy, Tom Brittany. <clears throat> okay, I mean, yeah, th- this guy looks the part too. I'm not familiar with his work. He is, uh, he's 32. So yeah, I mean, the age is the age is correct. He's he's got the he's got the jaw. Um, and then who's the last guy here? Andrew. Andrew Richardson. Um, hmm. This, okay, this guy is probably the least looking Superman in this photo. Uh, he's got like, like dirty blonde hair and I mean, I, that really doesn't matter. They could change the color of his hair, but even beyond that, I don't, I don't, 
I don't see it initially, but we've seen so many actors that 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 don't necessarily look the part, and we eventually just kind of forget about that, and then we we see them as a character. So, yeah, these other two guys, Tom Brittany, Andrew Richardson, not really familiar with them either. Uh, but I mean, I'm sure they all could play the character, but for me, I think that David Cornswood guy seems like he's going to be the one to play Superman, and I'd probably pick him. Um, that's just me. I think he 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 looks the part. He's probably a good enough actor, and uh, and yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, and the Nicholas Holt. So this guy, he he's he's a great actor, and he, as the article uh, articulated, he's been in the running for quite a few different roles. At Warner Brothers. He was apparently the runner up for Matt Reeves' Batman. Um, and to be honest, I could see him as Superman. I, he would have to put on some muscle, of course, and I, th- I think that goes without saying. Now, there's a lot of actors today in Hollywood that are getting away with not really getting in shape for these big, iconic superhero characters. They're, they're, they're getting away with padded suits, with you know visual effects, but I think for a character like Superman, you gotta be jacked to the fucking gills to play a guy like this. Like, you can have a little bit of padding, maybe kind of like Ben Affleck, but if you saw Ben Affleck, at least in Batman v Superman, you could tell that guy put in the work. Um, so at the very minimum, I think any one of these actors, they got to they gotta get their ass in the gym, hop on the steroids, and uh, and get to work. Especially for, for Superman. I, I don't think you can get away with being, you can't get away with being like me. You can't go in there 160 pounds soaking wet. You got to be like 220 you know, fucking veins about the burst out of your arms. Like you got to go in there jacked. Uh, but it seems like Nicholas Holt is going to be playing Lex Luthor. Now, once again, I don't really know a lot about the Lex Luthor character. I just know that he's bald. <laughs> um, so I, I, I guess I could see it. There's really not much I could say about that character. Um, but once again, I think Nicholas Holt is a great actor and I think he could, he could play Superman or Lex Luthor. Um, uh, yeah, so that's pretty much my thoughts on that. Let me know what you guys think. Do you have some other names you were thinking about in uh, in contention for, for Superman? Let me know. Um, you know, I always say let me know. There is no comment section on uh, on uh, on Spotify and Apple and Apple Podcasts. But you know, what? next time I do YouTube or leave a comment on my YouTube, and you know, we'll we'll, we'll talk about it. <laughs> Okay, yeah, so that's that's pretty much it in terms of my thoughts on that. Now, before we cap off the episode, I'm going to tell you what I've been watching the past week. Sorry, before we actually get to that, I totally forgot to talk about the Lois Lane stuff. Uh, so the names, once again, for Lois Lane are uh, Emma McKay, uh, Rachel Brosnan, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and Phoebe, Phoebe, Phoebe Denever, and Samara Weaving. Okay. I'm not the greatest of names, as you could probably tell. Um, now, Rachel Brosnan. That name rings a bell. Rachel Brosnan. Okay, well, it's not seeming to load up for me. Um, okay, well, yeah, she's in that Amazon show, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which I have not seen, but... She was in House of Cards, and she was fantastic in that show. And I've seen her in a couple of other things. She is a really good actress, and apparently she's the one that, uh, that quote, delivered an 
an outstanding audition. And But it says here at 32, maybe in the older range. I don't think so. Even if they go with this guy, David Cornsweet, he's only a few years younger than her. I, I, I don't think so. And she looks, she could pass for like 27, 26 years old as far as I'm concerned. I don't think that, I don't think the age is really an issue here for that. Um, and I mean, she's, she's a beautiful woman. So I'll say that she definitely looks like Lois Lane and, uh, yeah, I would have no problem with her. Even the other actresses, I'm not too familiar with them. Let me, let me see here. Um, okay. Well, my computer's not working for some reason, but that's great. Uh, yeah. So for me, I, my picks would probably be Rachel Brosnan for Lois Lane. And I would definitely do David Cornsweet as, uh, Superman, and it already seems like Nicholas Holt is a lock for Lex Luthor. So, anyways, now let's let's transition to what I've watched in the past week. Okay, so what did I watch this past week? Now, I know I said that I, it, this gives me an opportunity to talk about new films I watch, but for this past week, I actually rewatch films uh, that I've already seen. So, um, but still, I still a fun opportunity to kind of chat about movies that maybe you haven't seen. Um, so the films I watched are Babylon, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. I saw it again, uh, and then uh, Shutter Island, which I've, this was like my twenty fifth time seeing that film. I, I love it, but we'll we'll talk about it in a bit. Let's start off with Babylon. So Babylon is interesting because it came out last year. I believe it got snubbed from multiple Oscar awards, uh, not just nominations. I think it should have won a couple of different awards and the film did horribly at the box office like it it lost the studio probably upwards of a hundred million dollars because of course you have the star-studded cast you have you have the everything the the cast the crew the, the budget was probably up there <laughs> um with, with the amount of talent and for me I, I I feel so differently than than a lot of people in this film, and in not in not in the contrarian way that I talked about earlier. Like I genuinely love this film, and I know I'm not the only one, obviously, but a lot of people hated this film. And look, I can understand why it did bad at the box office. It is very niche. It is very much for the cinephiles, so to speak, um, for the the film nerds, so to speak. It's it's very it's very niche in that area. It's not very accessible to general audiences. I can totally appreciate that. And I don't say that in a, you know, um, what's, what's the term I'm looking for in a, in a snobby way. Like, Ooh, it's, it's for the upper echelon of film enthusiasts. No, it's, it's a film should be accessible to everybody. Now you shouldn't, uh, deteriorate, deteriorate or alter your film so you can, uh, accommodate to everybody. No, but there, it shouldn't be so far beyond because you know at the end of the day you're making a movie for other people to watch. You don't want to just make a movie for your for your film studies class. You know what I'm saying? You want to make a movie that that you think people will appreciate in some way, shape, or form that could be unique to 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 uh, to everyone, um, to every individual. <clears throat> now with this film, I love it. And depending on the day of the week, this this might be my favorite Damien Chazelle film. And have you ever come across a piece of art or content or a movie or a, or, or a painting or a TV show that you feel like the filmmaker made this, this piece of art just for you? This filmmaker made this movie just for you. Whether it's it's about a story, about a character that's going through something traumatic that you might have gone through the exact same thing or something similar. Or or in the inverse, it's it's about some guy 
who's going through the best period of his life and you might you might have gone through something similar or you might have felt that same feeling like i'm sure people can relate that's you know that's that's the point of art right it's it, we we art is a reflection of life right so that's how i feel about this film now, not in the ways of like, obviously, I can't relate to what's happening. It's, it's a it's a crazy ride of a movie. Babylon is about, you know, it's 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 crazy. It's it's you know, it's, it's hard to describe. It's it well, actually, on, on, on the baseline level, it's about we're following three characters as they're navigating through their careers while the inception of sound in film is is happening. And we're seeing how that's affecting some of our characters and how that's that that's really kind of affecting another character with like for example with Manny and uh Margot Robbie they're benefiting from the inception of sound and film like they're this is how they're taking off in their career but then with Brad Pitt you see that he was a star in the silent film era and now he's he's kind of being left behind he's not adjusting audiences are laughing at his line delivery and so he's kind of falling on the wayside as this new generation of um of film is 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 coming, um, and this takes place in the 1920s, and that's I'm, I'm a sucker for period pieces. I'm a sucker for movies that are about Hollywood. That's why I love La La Land, and that's why I love this film. And like I said, this is up there with La La Land. This is like I said, depending on the day of the week, I might pick this film over La La Land. Maybe on a Thursday, I might pick La La Land. It all depends how I feel, to be honest with you. It's it's like I mentioned with the MCU tier list. That's why I'm gonna revisit it every time a new, you know, Marvel film comes out. Uh, just because you know we 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 grow, we get old, and uh, our taste changes. Our 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 you know our what, what we do, how we feel about ourselves, our identity changes. Anyways, I'm not trying to get all introspective here. Not quite the time right now for that sort of podcast. Maybe another time though. Um, but anyway, so Babylon, I love it. Uh, it's it's. It checks all the boxes from all the filmmaking. The writing is beautiful. The The arcs of the characters are are beautiful, tragic, emotional. It, it checks every single box. I fucking love this movie. And it was in my top five last year of, of, of films that I, you know, films that I enjoyed. And I think it was like my third. I, I might even bump it up to like number two or number one. Depending on the day, like I said, it's it's that good. It's a long movie, and and as I mentioned, I can understand why it didn't perform well. It's very long. It's I think it's damn near, if not three hours, and it's very niche. Uh, so I totally get it. But for me, um, it and as an aspiring actor, films like this kind of remind me why I want to pursue this craft. You know, what is so beautiful about it? When I see performances like this, and the main actor who plays Manny, I, I hadn't seen him in anything else, but he was incredible, and I hope I see him in more projects coming in the future. Uh, so that's that. So number two, I watched, um, like I said earlier, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I enjoyed it just as much. My thoughts didn't really change. I don't really have much more to say about Guardians. Uh, talked about it on the last episode. Uh, I loved it. I, I felt the same emotions when I watched the flashback scenes uh, with obviously Rocket and everything else. And yeah, so thoughts didn't, didn't really change. Uh, I, I love the film. Um, and then number three, I watched Shutter Island. Now, I've talked about this film many, many times. I think it's one of Marty Scorsese's best films he's done. I think it's right up there. 
to be honest, I, I'd rather watch this than 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 Goodfellas. I'd rather watch this than uh, than The Irishman. I'd rather watch this than uh, than Casino. Like this is right up there for me. Uh, Marty Scorsese, he has a lot of like everybody always looks at you know Goodfellas. They always look at Mean Streets. They always look at uh, obviously you know Casino and and some Gangs of New York. But for me, when I look at his filmography, while I very much like those films and I think they are great, to me, I actually really love his films like After Hours, uh, Shutter Island, um. Uh, Silence with, that came out a couple of years ago with Adam Driver and uh, and uh, what's his name Andrew Garfield. Like, I'm not saying those are necessarily better. Although with Shutter Island specifically, I think it might be my favorite film of his. I love Shutter Island that much. And if you haven't seen Shutter Island, I I, I I'm not gonna spoil it because I I know it's a 10, 12, 13 year old film at this point, but it's so good that I just really want you. To just go in there blind. I'll give you the basic premise. And I promise I'm not going to spoil anything. It goes kind of something like this. It's about two detectives investigating. A missing persons case. On a remote island called Shutter Island. Which is a. Which is a. Which is a. An island that's a. It's, it's a. It's a mental health institution. It's a facility where they treat patients. That are mentally ill. Uh, and then you know. They have the A block. They have the C block. And then. Sorry. The A block, the B block, and then the C block, which is where the most violent patients are. Uh, and throughout this discovery on this island, they're looking for a uh, they're looking for a woman. And throughout this process, you learn more about the backstory regarding one of the detectives. Uh, his name is uh, his name. Fuck, actually, I, I gotta be careful when I say this. I gotta make sure I, I get the uh... okay. Well, the name's not important. You learn more about. Leonardo DiCaprio's character and you learn more about how he might be how he might have more ties to this island and to these people that he's looking for because I I just realized they're looking for a woman but he's also looking for somebody named Andrew Latis who is also on this island and and there's a more personal connection he has professionally he's him and his partner Chuck are there looking for this woman but he also has his own agenda, and he's also looking for this individual named Andrew Latus. That's all I will say. I was I was treading on thin ice there. I almost had to catch myself. And if you've seen the film, you know why. Uh, go in blind, go in not knowing anything, and I promise you, you will you will enjoy the film. Why? Well, I can't guarantee it, but I'm confident that you're gonna like it. And to be honest with you, it might be my favorite Martin Scorsese film. But then again, we got Killers of the Flower Moon coming up. And actually, the trailer for that is supposed to drop today. Hopefully, it doesn't drop while I'm doing the podcast because I'd love to talk about it. But anyways. All right, guys. That is going to wrap it up. We are clocking in just under an hour. Uh, I would have loved to do these episodes longer. But I can only talk solo for so long before I just lose all... Lose my fucking mind. (laughs) And it's also hard on hard on my voice after a while too. But if you stuck around for this long, I want to thank you for watching the episode. Make sure you guys turn on the notifications on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. That way, every time I upload, you get notified. And uh, and uh, make sure you download it. Make sure you share it. Spread the word of I'm bashful. I'm trying to build this channel. And if you if you like the content and you want to support it, that is the best way to support me. I really appreciate it, ladies and gentlemen. 
Have a great day. Have a great evening, wherever you're, you're, you're tuning in from. And I will see you on the next episode.